0: We are back with another episode of Mining Now. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Gaudi will not be joining us today because we have two guests on, which means she's running more cameras, more lights, more monitors. Okay, so today on the show, we were featuring EPCM Services. Uh, They are, this is a bit of an understatement. They are challenging the most difficult manufacturing and operational challenges. Pretty amazing some of the things that they've done in the industry. So we're gonna be unpacking these And joining me uh, will be John Jickling, he's the president and CEO, and Brian McMillan, he's the vice president of operations at EPCM. Now, we're going to cover a lot of ground, cover a lot of projects. Before we do any of that, we got to give a shout out to our sponsors.
1: Alrighty, so first up, we have Holly Frontier Lubricants and Specialties, which includes the Canada Lubricants brand. PetroCanada Lubricants products and services are proven to maximize the equipment, performance, productivity, and overall savings. From heavy-duty engine oils to hydraulic fluids, automatic transmission fluids, and gear oils and greases, PetroCanada Lubricants is committed to delivering innovative solutions that deliver value and keep bis- businesses moving. They have dedicated technical expertise, knowledge, and know-how to help customers in the mining industry industry operates smoothly with improved equipment, reliability and performance. To learn more, you can visit them at lubricants.petro-canada.com or contact them at one 335 3369 to arrange a call with one of their technical experts. Next up, we have Savanai Equipment. Savanai Equipment supplies new and used mining equipment around the world from placer to underground to ore processing plants. They have gold concentrating tables, trommels, and mineral jigs in stock now to take advantage of the high gold prices. You can visit them at SavanaiEquipment.com where you will find more equipment every day. And of course, we've got CIM. The CIM 2022 Convention and Expo is coming back to Vancouver in person this May. Show off your products and services in mining technology, digitalization, equipment, consulting, and engineering. There are a whole lot of perks waiting for exhibitors and this expo will sell out fast. If you're a researcher thinking about what mining will look like for future generations, this convention is the perfect place to present your technical paper or lead a short course. Visit cim.org for all the details and book your exhibitor space and submit your abstracts today. Next up, we have NSS Canada. NSS Canada say, provides safe, accurate, and innovative survey equipment solutions. As a Leica Geosystems and Hexagon Mining authorized reseller, they specialize in engineering, construction, and mining solutions. To learn more, you can visit them at nsscanada.com or you can call them at 705-744-3246. And last but not least, we have PowerZone Equipment. When you need a specialized team of world-class engineers for your oil and gas pipelines, dewatering, or any fluid handling needs, you want to visit PowerZone.com. In addition to their inventory of rebuilt pumps, motors, engines, they also have an amazing team to design and engineer your systems, no matter the challenge, no matter the location. Get in the zone with PowerZone. Visit them at PowerZone.com.
0: Hello, John. Hello, Brian. Welcome to the show. Good to have you on.
1: Thank you
2: very much. It's great to be here. Pleasure to be here.
0: Okay, I want to jump into some projects with you, um, but there, you're you're a company that does a lot and solves a lot of issues uh, that companies are having. Things like legacy, where they're trying they were trying to get to the sort of the next stage of manufacturing. And so, can you just give me a little bit of context, sort of how you explain the company in you know in a couple minutes? Uh, maybe John will start with you.
2: Well, EPCM has been around for forty years, and our history is based on uh, initially then consulting engineering, and we slowly moved from consulting engineering into uh, uh, also automation equipment, and then service and supply. And we really have focused now on bringing all that life cycle work and offering into providing a complete life cycle service to our clients, and that includes supplying new equipment. That includes uh, refurbishing existing equipment in clients' plans for 20, 30 years. And it also includes providing them service throughout that period of time. And that's where we believe and that's where our strengths are. is within the overall lifecycle service.
0: You know, Brian, I want to jump over to you for a quick second, because when we started, I think the uh, we started this whole process of you coming on the show. Uh, you mentioned uh, EPCM being sort of the industry's best kept secret. Can you explain that?
3: Yeah. I mean, we're, we have, we're established all over the world. We have, we're based in, we have uh, operations in Germany, we have operations in Canada, we're operations in, in Chile. And we do quite a, ver- a variety of things. Um, but you know, we're not, we're not one of the names that maybe people, um, everybody knows, but the people who need to know us, hmm. know us. And, you know, I was just, uh, visiting client the other day, and I, I got an email from a client, or a WhatsApp message from a client that I never, never reached out to, and they were saying, "Hey, we've heard, uh, we think you might be able to help us solve this problem. Can you help?"
0: Um, John, I wanted to, I wanted to go back. You sort of mentioned something uh, in, in passing, and I want to unpack a little more. The, the own and operate um, equipment. Can you, do you talk a little bit more about that setup?
2: Well. One of the biggest issues we have with or one of the biggest issues our clients have is they have, they're have they kind of stuck within their OPEX budget, their operating budget. And it's difficult to get capital money to improve equipment or improve how they are currently operating their facility. So what we do is we take a look at their operations and they have a specific operational problem and we'll look at that operational problem. We will provide them with new technology, new ways of doing. The, uh, the, the work that's being proposed, and then we will offer it in an OPEX manner, which means that we will, offer the, the, we will offer to supply the equipment, own it. We will have people on their site and operate the equipment, and we will also maintain the equipment. The client actually receives a benefit in lowering their operational costs. They receive a benefit in having a safer environment because with automation, you can improve the safety. And they get better efficiencies and lower costs. Ryan, on your, you're
0: out, you know, when you're, you're out, you know, generating business, having these, this communication with clients, is there, are your clients, like you said, there, a lot of them, they, they, the people that need to know who you are know. So are they coming to you and asking or do you need to sort of lay out a vision for what can be accomplished um, on, on a project? Are they saying we've got a problem that we just want ideas or do they sort of come with sort of the bones of what they want to do?
3: Some of both. I mean, we, we have different clients all over the world, but, you know, frequently um, we'll go to clients and we'll see issues and, and maybe we'll see an issue that they don't realize they have. Or or we see an opportunity to to solve uh, challenges that maybe they haven't quantified or they don't realize are are as uh, impactful as they may be. So because we do have the the global insight in in are operating around the world, we can see things that sometimes uh, our clients don't see And, and I think you know, when we talk about some of our projects, we'll talk about how we propose solutions that had never been considered before mm. and have effectively changed the way they operate.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I want to, and we're going to look at some of these projects. Um, I wanted to bring up, and I, we've got videos, so we'll start to play some of those so people can actually see a little bit of what we're talking about. But I, safety is such a huge thing. And, and John, you already mentioned it. Um, it's such a big issue when you're trying to uh, integrate automation or upgrade a legacy system to an automated system. I mean, how, how much of that is the discussion? I mean, is it a case where if you're going to automate, you're going to have, you have to have hundred foot barriers around everything, or is it sort of even the perception of safety and automation? How is it perceived in the industry and how do you sort of approach that communication?
2: Well, First of all, we always work with our clients on safety and understanding what their internal rules are, but safety is utmost importance for us and our clients. But one of the issues we have is that what they want and what clients perceive as being safe. Mm-hmm. Putting up hundred foot barriers is not safe, That does not improve safety. Because what it does, every barrier that you put up is a potential barrier that somebody may try to break in order to accomplish their job. What is important is to understand the operations, to understand the maintenance requirements of the equipment that's being installed and design it so that it can be operated safely. It can be maintained safely. And therefore it is a safe piece of equipment. Barriers are exactly what they are. They're a barrier. And I there's nothing more than we've seen before and seeing clients that go to visit a legacy piece of equipment and you see a piece of safety equipment that's on the floor or has been disconnected because it was a barrier to getting production done. And that is so frequent. That's why when we design our equipment or we work with the client, we're designing equipment to be not only safe, but to be functional, safe, operational, safe, and maintain that and can also be maintained safely as well.
0: I, I really do feel like we could have a whole show just discussing just discussing that, how safety is perceived versus what actually is safe, um, and also uh, what a company's demands are and having that communication. I'm, I'm sure it gets quite interesting, um, but we've got to show some projects. we got to show some of what you've actually done here. Um, can you talk, may, maybe an example, I, I know you sent over a few videos, um, an example of, of upgrading from a legacy system to a, a really a fully automated um, uh, process? Um, Brian, maybe we'll sort of kick off with the overview of it and then sort of look at it at a, at a larger scale of the video that you sent through.
3: Yeah. So, so what, what we found is in a lot of our clients and, and we work quite a bit in, in mining is, is that there's been equipment that's been operating for 20 or 30 years. And you know, the, the example I use is, is like a 20 to 30 year old car. You can still drive it. You can still get from A to B, but it, it doesn't have the same uh, capabilities that you can get on a modern vehicle, and when you look at some of the legacy equipment, um, people feel comfortable with it. They they know it, um, but they're really limping along um, using it, and it, it's, it's it doesn't provide what you can get from a modern system. And you know, John was just speaking about the safety safety systems on equipment 20 years ago are not what they are today. A lot of the equipment that was put in. Would, you would not be able to implement it today. So, so what we find is, you know, people are, are running into obsolete parts. Um, they can't find the spare parts for equipment. Um, you know, the technology has improved significantly and what they're looking for is a modern solution, a solution with high reliability and that can add some of the value that um, the older systems don't have. And again, if you think about a phone, a phone from 20 years ago could, you know, make calls. And now you can do so many more things with it so can you add value into the system by by making it an intelligent system mm-hmm. it Is what a lot of our clients are talking
0: about well remember we talk about people sort of uh you know they're comfortable with it i don't know if you remember that it we get got quite intense the debate about uh buttons on the phone versus a touch screen <laughs> it's and people were attached to it i, I think because If in all honesty, people could drive and uh, text with the buttons. I think that was actually the main driver on that one. Um, But what about, uh, John, going over to you on the the, the downtime, uh, I guess maybe what is the order of importance when people are talking about automating their system? I mean, safety is obviously going to always be at the forefront, um, but then you're talking about things like downtime and efficiency, sort of where does it all rank? And can you break that down a little bit?
2: Well, right now, with the high prices of uh, commodities, uh, safety is an utmost concern, but also it's the price and the downtime of lost production. So that is right now, probably one of the biggest driving or one of the areas where it kind of stops the progress of putting in new equipment is the time available to shut down. Now, in the video that you saw, that particular client had space to install a new piece of equipment while they continue to run their existing uh, while the existing equipment, so therefore downtime was not a factor in this. So they were it was strictly in terms of production improvements, long-term operational savings due to the fact that the equipment has less parts, less damage, and therefore there's going to be less consumption of parts, less consumption of time and maintenance on maintaining the equipment. But for new clients where where they don't have the space to put new equipment in. It is utmost important is how quickly can we take out and remove the legacy equipment and put in a new system. And this is where EPCM has an advantage over a lot of our competitors in the sense that we are also an engineering company. So we first go in there and we do the engineering and like do a laser scan, understand the layout, understand what can be, and we start to actually build a model of the dismantling process to dismantle this equipment quickly that's part of the uh, putting in after that we have to have the equipment installed so we have to make sure that the equipment that we build has been tested thoroughly and then it can be installed in units so it's like a skid mounted area so everything is a package it's predefined pre-set up pre-wired so therefore after it gets installed it's strictly plug and play and ready to go
0: i was curious do you have in and to either one of you maybe Maybe uh, from what sort of you hear from clients, but just as a company as well, um, do you have this sort, of, this this sort of tongue-in-cheek saying all the time that I hear in mining is the first to be second. Um, is that is that a challenge for you um, trying to automate systems when there is a little bit of this? I think it's changing a bit, and maybe that's part of the question. Is do you see it changing? But is that is that a roadblock for you uh, still to today?
2: it is a roadblock. And uh, part of the reason is the clients have been burned so many times before buying equipment that just doesn't work or live up to expectations. And when they're the first, that's a worry. That's where, as we've talked before, by EPCM doing the own and operate and maintain model, we actually can take away a lot of the risk of the client who are interested in improving their operations. So therefore, the risk is now associated to us. So therefore, it's up to us to actually maintain it and perform, and we actually get paid based on performance. Is and that
0: because you? Oh, sorry. Go ahead, ron
2: Jared. The other
3: the other way we can overcome that problem is, is we have long term relationships with our clients. And We've been working with them for for twenty plus years, and they've known and they've 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 experienced our success with them. Um, so so we have some great clients where uh, we've we've essentially developed part techn- technology partnerships with them, where you know, we we bring in solution after solution, and we've got some great clients in Chile where we've really uh, pushed the envelope by bringing in new technology.
0: Like that video that we we brought it we brought it up now, but uh, could just go back to it, um, Brian. Can you kind of give that? What what are we actually seeing in that? In that, uh, I mean, it's about a four minute video, but just as a sort of a general overview, what's the audience uh, looking at in that project?
3: So in that project,
0: we. You know, they wanted to
3: change their technology, so they they had a an old stripping system. So they they have a, a system that removes copper uh, from permanent cathodes, and you know we specialize in that. We've been been working on uh, automated cathode stripping machines for over 20 years, and we also work on uh, permanent cathodes. Um, and we're the global leader in that, and. <laughs> what they've done is, is they've converted the technology. so they had an old system, and as John mentioned, um, we put in a new one and it's it's a robotic system um, it's It's automated so that it can work with with very few operators, very few uh, people being put in risks uh, in in risks way and
2: uh, it's it's a fully
3: automated system that we've implemented
2: jared uh, we we were we were selected on that project. I mean first of all what you see if you watch the video you're seeing a transfer of product from the client's uh, tank house into our machine and then as you go through you'll see our full face cathode wash which is the first of its kind and developed and why was that developed that's developed based on our experience as a maintenance as because we are involved in maintaining not only our equipment that we designed, but other clients' equipment, other suppliers' equipment as well, we have understand what works and what doesn't work. And one of the issues is, is you can get uh, pre-stripped copper, you can get pre-stripping, uh, which causes downtime in the machine or damage. So we designed a system that actually washes the quality, washes the quality of the product, the client's product, which is in this case, copper cathodes. And at the same time, if they do pre-strip, it can be conveyed through the system. and doesn't cause a downtime. At the same time, after that, we're using robotic material handling. We were the first to push the introduction of robots into the mining. Why? Because it's not a one-off design. All the old legacy equipment is one-offs. People designed it, whereas a robot is like a car, it's reliable. And what we want to bring to the industry or to the systems and to the car mining clients is reliability. At the same time, then you go down through the wash, we have two stripping units uh, that provides us with the requirement we're not moving the product around all the works being done in one location. And then we have our bundling and packaging and sampling uh, line as well. And, and one of the reasons we won that project
3: is because we were, we were able to have the flexible design uh, with the, the automation so we could fit into an existing footprint.
0: Right. Without all the uh, without a- actually added infrastructure other than the operation itself that you're implementing. I have to ask uh, the one thing I'm wondering about is cost um, when it comes to uh, uh, encouraging companies to make this investment, you know, CapEx versus OpEx and all this type of thing. Can you sort of walk us through that? Because you, you've got an approach um, that, that I think is worth mentioning before we move on to a couple more projects.
2: Well, the approach is, is first of all, we sit down and we have to look at the overall costing of of the work. And the main thing is to to ask our client, I mean, is this operation going to be around for another 30 years? Mm -hmm. If it is going to be around for another 30 years, is it realistically a possibility to maintain their existing equipment for another 30 years? And the answer is no. Everybody understands that they have to make this change. So what we do is we sit down and work with the clients to understand the economics and the benefits to their operation to make this case for a capex change. And that would include in evaluating how much time they're how much time they're actually producing right now. Maybe they're having with the old equipment, they have to go to two shifts instead of a single shift. That's a cost associated to their operations. How much are they spending on spare parts and maintenance? That's also a cost to their operations what can we do with the new equipment versus the old equipment? for example, maybe they have issues with their quality of their end product that gets intermixed into their tank into the client to their their clients' product and therefore they get uh, complaints, etc. We have uh, vision AI systems that can do quality sorting of their product that provides additional value and on top of it is the safety factor. everybody, all mining clients, everybody wants to operate in a safe manner. And when you put, there's an economic benefit, an operational benefit and a safety benefit, then it can easily be discussed with the client.
0: I was curious how you, uh, cause I want to go into, actually, I want to jump over to it now because there's uh, another project. It's, I think it's a, um, I think it's a, uh, uh heap leach monitoring system um that you put in on interest and i want to shift gears just because i i don't want the, the to sort of uh get the give the audience just a perception this is all you're doing is that automation because you're doing a lot of other problem solving as well so uh just quickly brian can you just give us an overview of this project um as i will bring that video up as well that that shows uh it in action
2: yeah
3: absolutely um so historically, and if this client, this client reached out to us and they wanted us to look at their heat bleach pads. So the pads are quite large. They're about three kilometers by two kilometers. And it's, it's crushed rock. It's recently laid. So it's, it's, you know, not uh, particularly attractive to walk on. It's covered in acid. So, so they're, they're irrigating. Uh, they're, the pads w- with acid and they were having troubles where they weren't getting good coverage. They were getting spots that there was too much flow. There's spots where they were, weren't getting enough flow and they weren't able to, to monitor it effectively. They'd have people out there looking at it, try to fix it. They had a series of manual valves that they're opening and closing. Um, so they reached out to us and, and they asked us to propose a solution and we did. And we said, well, why don't we look at this differently? Why don't we do this? Um, in a totally different way. Why don't we use drones? Why don't we fly over it and, and use thermographic cameras to identify areas that um, you, you know are you're getting good coverage and areas that you're not good at getting good coverage? Let's use automated valves so that we can redistribute the flow. Um, and, and we've had a we've had a massive impact. And, and the client has been very pleased with the solution. They've decreased the the amount of labor required by ninety percent. And their uh copper production has gone up by two percent which which is a very big number
0: on something like this or or the last project we saw or anything that you do uh this is uh something i'm always curious curious about when you're trying to implement something new do you start with a one-pager of hey we got a bit of a concept here and they go yeah or do you do you do you drop the big heavy book in front of them and say hey here's this major thing we're gonna do how do you even move that conversation along and especially on a mining operation where there's so many uh, different voices that sort of need to to hear well, not just to talk and ask questions, but also to hear the challenges and one, you know, and voice their concerns. How how do you even start that process and sort of uh walk it through until the finish line?
2: Well, I think it's you have to uh set expectations with the client. And that's done by first by listening to the client. And that particular video that you've shown. What the client was originally asking for, and we were listening to them, is exactly what we delivered. But how they were asking for it, the project probably would never have happened because the overall capital capital cost to do it the way they were recommending or looking at doing it was just too costly for infrastructure. So not only did we, when we listened to them and understood the project, we went back and said, this is what you propose it but how about looking at doing it this way? And it was just a one pager saying, are we on track? For example, do you need to have thermographics of this leech pad 24 seven, or can it be passed over a few times a day? Is that acceptable? Because it's this, in this case, a leach pad doesn't change that much in oh, hour by hour. Mm-hmm. So therefore the client said, yes, that is acceptable. So therefore, the idea, the original concept of theirs to put up pillars and cameras all over a three kilometer by two kilometer pad and putting these down uh, uh, installed with the infrastructure that's gone, that can be all replaced by a simple drone with an infrared camera on. So it is. That, so by taking what they're asking for understanding that there could be a different way of doing it and accomplishing it and then sitting down there with them and going through it. The same with the automation. They wanted the, all the valves to be hardwired through conduit back to a server. We said, we can actually do this with via solar, with each of these valves controlled by a solar power, and we can do it all via remote and no wires. And they said, would that be acceptable to them? They said, yes, that would be acceptable again. All this did was bring down the overall cost to the client. It gave them exactly what they were looking for. And then we were able, and then they got the results and were able to go ahead with the project because it was within budget. So, first off, to answer your question, I kind of went around, but is yes, we start off with a simple, uh, I would say a broad view of what we're going to offer our concept, get some consensus from the client, listen back to the client are we on track or are we gone off track somewhere? And if we have, which happens, we have to get, we go back to the drawing board and then bring back another plan. And then once a concept is agreed upon, then we'll go back into do the details and then do the costing for them.
0: There must be a lot of, of that, that approach. It's like, uh, Brian, I think you mentioned like the water wasn't getting distributed uh, evenly. And I was thinking, uh, you know, back as a kid out in, uh, you know, on, on the branches and that we would have to change the pipes and that, and water. I mean, you'd walk, you'd walk through the fields and there'd be patches where it was just drenched, like literally puddles in the water. And then the, on the outskirts, you'd have, it just lightly, especially if the sun's hitting it, it dries faster on the outskirts and that. So if they're approaching it in that, like sort of almost like a standard irrigation way, you have to sort of, and, but you're talking about acid, um, so they have to actually change the way they're thinking of it. Is there a lot of that is just to get them to just getting clients to a point where they're just looking at it in a different perspective?
3: Well, everybody's busy and, uh, you know, everyone needs to get their day job done. And sometimes the, the longer term thinking, is, you know, it's, it's hard to fit into your day, but we have very strong relationships with Cadelco. We have very strong relationships with, with clients on, on, on every continent and you know, we visit them and we sit down and talk with them, and we we help understand their problems and and what what their biggest challenges are, and and we work with them to resolve those. So it, it's it's a lot about relationships and the long term trust that we built by
0: by providing them with excellent results time and time again. You know, um and I, I do think. We we get stats on you know the age ranges of people and there's it's quite a wide range of people that watch our show in, including a um, a young audience that's learning about the industry. It's easy to see a video like these and see this end result, but just to give a context, we've seen two projects so far. I think we're going to highlight a third project in a bit here. How long would would these take? Like like the drone project or the first one that we looked at. I mean, what's a timeline on, on actually getting something like either one
2: of these implemented. From Mark, from our standpoint, uh, from, I guess the initial there's the pre-work, which is prior to purchase order or prior to get the go-ahead to proceed. So that would take anywhere between two to three months with a client until they get a decision done. And that's, goes back to your earlier question. How do we do that, et cetera. I mean, it takes two to three months to discuss it and agree on a concept. Once we get the go-ahead, the projects can range in timing, but generally it's between uh, 8 and 12 months till delivery. Yeah. And then after that, they're designed for quick deliveries, but it depends also, also on the time that you're in. And right now with uh, today's day and age with uh, COVID, there's uh, times so you can Big take challenges. a little bit longer to get things, challenges to get things installed. So yeah. we've actually worked around that with remote glasses, uh, vision glasses, so that we can help clients uh, remote uh, install. But it's generally about between eight and 12 months.
0: And then what about the technology? I I imagine there's a certain amount of, are are you making a lot of your proprietary, is this, is your technology proprietary? How much of it is AI? Are you using, you know, are there there systems like robotic companies that you're, you're leveraging their technology? Sort of what's the whole setup of putting it all together?
2: Well, I would say most of our designs are our proprietary designs and concepts and uh, that we've done. They're ours. Uh, we do work with uh, robotic companies uh, globally. And at the end of the day, when we are choosing a robotic company or a partner to use which equipment to use, we generally look at where are they established, where's this product going. So for example, if we're sending something to Europe, uh, where KUKA Robotics is located and where the robots are made, you would generally say, maybe we. in are going to Germany, KUKA would be a good brand to do because they're gonna have potential aftermarket service there. Mm. The same as if, if you're sending something to Japan, you might say FANUC. So depending on where the, who, where the different robotic companies have setups, uh, where they have aftermarket service support, would, that would help, obviously, play into our decision and recommendation to the client. Now, if the client already has some robotics in their system or in their in their plant, and it's a specific brand that they're currently using, we would then obviously choose that brand as well because there's nothing worse than having providing a piece of equipment to a client that's completely different to what they already have. Right.
0: Yeah. So, if po- if possible, you'll actually integrate in what some of their own systems that they already have, or some of their own product lines that they already have. Um, I wanted to. You know, kind of putting it all together. Is there another project? Uh, I I feel like we could probably go through about twenty projects because you do so many different things. But is there another sort of third project as we sort of get close to wrapping up? That sort of stands out to you as a as a as a problem solver uh, that that represents what you're capable of doing and that putting that new process in place. Uh, maybe Brian will start with you.
3: Yeah, there are a ton of projects, Jared. Um, but the one in particular that I'd like to to highlight is is a copper uh, sorting and washing project that we did for uh, Radimir Tomic and Codelco. And they reached out to us, and they they were they were manually sorting um, sheets of copper um, and, and to to identify the quality of it and identify ones that needed to be cleaned. So a sheet of copper, is quite heavy, it's quite large, it's quite sharp. And they had people manipulating these, moving these around uh, to inspect them, uh, you know, out, out in in the de- in the Atacama Desert. And they reached out to us and said, "Hey, you know, do you want to propose a solution for this?" And and we jumped at the opportunity. And um, we said, "Well, what if what if we automate it? What if what if we take this task that's not appropriate for for people to be doing? And what if we?" automate it to, to make it easier, make it safer and improve the quality. Um, so, so we started uh, with, you know, with, with some ideas and, and we took a, a number of different uh, robotic systems to, to separate it, handle it, inspect it. And the, initially we started inspection with using cameras where operators were looking at the cameras. And, and after a while we said, well, why don't we do this better? Why don't we implement our artificial intelligence? Why don't we use a vision systems and cameras? so that we can automatically grade the copper. So getting better results, uh, making it cheaper, making it more efficient. And then we also implemented the washing. So instead of having people with hoses and, and moving the sheets around and trying to get them as clean as possible, how can we put it using, using a robotic system, putting it in a, in a wash system so that we can more rapidly and more efficiently wash their copper um so this is an opportunity again where we came in with with a an own and operate solution it probably would not have been accepted if, if we said you know this is going to cost x mm. but we set up a system where uh our affiliate is owning operating and maintaining the system on a day day-to-day basis seven days
0: a week uh to provide the client what they need Don, I want to ask a question over to you. You know, as a as a CEO of a company, you've got to give a, a company direction and 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 basically absorb information from from all different levels to sort of to to, to make that direction. And was this always was this always an approach of EPCM? You said it, it originally. It was an engineering company. So, how long have you sort of has the company taken this approach? Um, to sort of help companies be able to put it into a, an affordable, to convert something that was upfront could be could be stopped so much quicker if they weren't if they weren't putting it into their actual OPEX.
2: Is this was this a company shift to be able to do that? It was definitely a company shift for us. I mean, as as you mentioned, we started as an engineering company. We were we got into automation. And then we got into aftermarket service and supporting the clients and that's just a natural progression. And the more that we were involved in the maintenance aspect of the client's equipment, the better the results the clients had and the more we learned. But one of the frustrations we have, as you mentioned early with the, some of the clients is uh, first, second, and nobody wants to take the risk. You have these great ideas and you can sit there and you can talk about them and talk about them, but you can't put it into action. This particular client that we were talking about the sorting cell with uh, vision sorting, AI sorting that we, we installed on our equipment. They want vision systems for themselves in their own plant, but they've been burned before. Mm. So what better opportunity was there for us is to actually install it on our equipment. It was our risk. We had an economic benefit and a safety benefit by doing this. So it made sense for us to do it. And so if the client was to ask us what proof do you have that this will work in our system, we just point outside and said, it's already working in your system. We're already using your product and sorting. And this technology that we've developed is not just for copper, it's work is for any kind of inspection work that we're doing for, we got it where we're using it now for on silver ingots. That could be also for gold. It could be for who knows what that you can teach anything that can be inspected. So it's kind of been a transversal thing that we've done. And if it wasn't for a pivot for us to get into working with clients in this own and operating, uh, business model, a lot of great ideas would just be that great ideas. Yeah.
0: Well, you, you said something, you said it was a natural progression. And, and I, I want to go back to that because how much of it there's, there's definitely an approach, um, In leadership of, you know, as demand comes, you, you, you push forward, you, you seize those opportunities, but then there's also an approach of creating these opportunities and you're sort of, you're an interesting company because you're at the forefront of essentially automating, you know, industries like mining, um, which is not an easy thing to do. So, how much of it is a natural progression as opposed to uh, we're going to make a strategic move here to to uh, to get companies to look at this, or, or do you wait for them to have the problem and that's when you jump in with that solution? It,
2: so, how much of it is natural versus planned? Oh, it's—I would say it's—it pro- was natural in the sense that that we went this route, hmm. but it's it's planned when we visit to a client site. Uh, when we, listen, when we go there, as Brian said, quite often we get a call and they're, it's for a specific issue they have or a specific problem they have. But when we get there and we listen, they, we actually can see that that's only a part of the problem, but there's a bigger problem. And what was the, maybe that's the problem that has the cause and effect of what they're having. So our, it's a planned movement, it's a planned decision by us to go ahead into this direction for the business model, it's uh, cannot get clients to necessarily move forward with decisions, which affects our business. Because if the clients are sitting on capex decisions, mm. that means they're sitting on ideas that we presented, right. and then we're waiting for decisions to be made. Whereas with the planned approach that we're using. allows us to put some control back into our hands and control into the operations hands to actually make benefits to their real benefits to the safety and operation to safety and their operations without having to ask for capex budgets
0: right it's uh it's you know it is um i'm sure let's put it this way i'm sure there's somebody listening that is, is trying to run a business maybe it's not even in the mining industry but they're going oh we could probably do that so it's 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 I'm, I'm glad you're actually sharing that approach not only for your clients but sort of so people sort of have a new perspective on how they can integrate technology um right just before we wrap up quickly over to you i want to talk about uh you, you talked about service um well you, you both touched on it uh, throughout this interview so how are you i just wanted to have a quick understanding of providing that service when you're in i mean chile canada germany all over the world um do you have people over in these locations set up um is it just a lot of travel how are you actually on the ground servicing um some of these operations
3: so it depends on, on what's required by the clients so you know we have we have a, a large team uh, based in our different geographies but You know, we need to travel and we need to send the right people to the right places to, to provide the right solutions. So there, we definitely have a strong local presence and, you know, we have mines in in Chile where, uh, we have people working there 24 seven to make sure that they have the the support, but I was in Peru last week and you know, there are some clients who want remote support. So 24 seven, can you have somebody at the end of the line who they have a problem in the middle of the night, they need to talk to an expert. You have somebody available, so we take we take different models for for different people. Um, you know, sometimes we'll need to go and and do an overhaul or, or send in a SWAT team to support them with with the challenge they're facing. Um, we listen to our clients and, and we do what they require to get them the results they need.
0: You know, I think uh, if take anything away, um, if someone's trying to learn how to run a business, listen to your client, I think would uh, be a very consistent theme. I've noticed in this interview. Um, John going John going over to you to to wrap up um, the future uh, of EPCM. I mean, it's uh, the the world, the use of technology. Um, has probably never been in a higher use, and, but there's also this huge future. You don't need to look around at, at systems very long to see that some of these legacy systems, not some, oh, there's a lot of legacy systems still integrated in. Um, what's the future uh, of a company as, um, you know, under your leadership and sort of your approach and, and how you want your team to approach these, the, the future?
2: Well, like our clients, we're all having a problem with manpower. And there's an aging workforce and there's competition to get people. So getting resources is difficult today, globally, it's an issue for everybody. So for like that, for our clients, the importance of information today has never been greater because they're fighting for resources, their workforce is aging, which is experience. And that information, when it does retire, that knowledge leaves the company. If you can put intelligence into the equipment and into the, or into the process, uh, just, just process automation or equipment automation with intelligence, you can actually work with these knowledgeable people and put that intelligence into the equipment and provide a legacy of experience. So therefore the new, uh, operations new supervisors new maintenance people coming up who maybe are maybe not even in school yet or being trained will have this expertise because this the systems will be providing them with guidance and operational know-how on what the problems are where you need to fix things or how to run your operations and it's going to be based on on real data on real experience yeah yeah and i and so as a
0: company that the more the the better you can offer that, the the more uh growth opportunity and sustainability you have as a company. That's
2: where we're going. I mean, we believe that we need to be that link mm-hmm. from the to for the client and passing information, but not just passing an abundance of information. I mean, some a lot of clients out there they talk about industry 4.0. Sometimes that means they just get data and data and data. Yeah. That's not that's no good either. What you need to do is provide data to, in a point that is useful, useful data, useful information, so that it can be used. And that's where we see the focus for ourselves going forward, is being oh. that company.
0: Uh, just a quick question, um, you know, as you know, as the world has certainly changed over the last last couple of years, um, have as, has EPCM sort of looked at you know, I guess platforms like ours as as a way to communicate, as opposed to sort of being that best kept secret.
2: Uh, Jared, I mean, this—you've hit the hammer on the head. This, this, this uh, platform that you're providing this opportunity is critical to our business development and moving forward. Uh, EPCM has made a large investment in uh, social media, and we believe that uh, what we're doing here today, and the and what we're doing with LinkedIn and uh, YouTube, etc., is vitally important for our marketing approach going forward. Uh, I know for, for a fact that when Brian was traveling, he mentioned, uh, in Peru that, uh, we got clients are coming back to us or, or, reaching out to us based off of what they see on the internet and programs like yours are extremely important. So we appreciate it.
0: Gentlemen, thank you for being on the show. I really do appreciate it. Um, you know, these, uh, I, I quite often on the show have, uh, companies that do things at such a great scale um i i try to get by the end of the interview i'm just hoping i did them some justice i hope i did your company justice um because the capabilities and what you're bringing to the industry is not only amazing but it's also important so thank you both for joining us and and i hope to uh see you back on the show soon
2: thank you very much thanks jared pleasure thanks sir
0: okay everyone thank you for watching um we'll have plenty of links if you want to see uh more of their projects more of epcm's capabilities um they serve multiple industries as well so there's there's a lot we couldn't cover impact into one show but uh follow those links and check them out follow us suggest guests um you you've seen us we've seen us scale up our production and doing a lot more episodes we're going to do even more And to do that, we need your help. So please send us guests. Give us suggestions of how we can make the show better. We're on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, and all the podcast platforms as
2: well. Thank you for watching, everybody. We will see you on the next episode of Mining Now.